Hi, podcast listeners. It's Gracie with Self-Care with Gracie. Welcome back to the podcast. I love our episode today. It's an interview with Rachel Kaplan of the Healing Feelings Shit Show podcast. And Rachel's podcast is all about how when it comes to feeling our feelings, some of us just need to go back and do some basic emotional potty training. We talk a lot about the importance of feeling our feelings and why that is not only liberatory for us, but can help our world as a whole. Before I share this conversation, I wanted to also share some exciting news in my own world. Those of you who've listened to the podcast for a while know that I wrote a book called Self-Carefully. It's an independent press, beautifully illustrated book that features vignettes on how to really practice authentic self-care, not just for ourselves, but for the world around us. We're so happy to announce that we actually, before even our official publication date on Black Friday, the 29th of November, we sold out our first run of copies. So we printed 500 copies. Those are out in the world and starting our self-care revolution, continuing it, furthering it. And we're really eager to get our hands on the next printing, which should be here in the next week or so. Right now, you can order copies of Self-Carefully from the Thick Press website and support a great independent press. That's thickpress.com. This book is just so beautiful. You can, as we say, hold it in your hands and give it to a friend. The illustrations are gorgeous. Each one of them evokes a real feeling of self-care. There are just so many different ways that you can access the book. We like to say you can just open it like a tarot card style and just read one of the vignettes on self-care. And I've, I've heard from people who have the book who say that every time they open it up, they just open it up to the right section. That's exactly what they need to hear. A lot of people have been ordering them to give to friends who've had a tough year, someone in your life who's really deepening their self-care. So again, you can go to the Thick Press website to order those. If you are local to Washington, D.C. and listening to this podcast in a timely manner, I'm also doing a couple of readings in the D.C. area this Thursday at Loyalty Books up in the Petworth neighborhood of D.C. at 7 p.m. I'll be in conversation with Louise Green, who is one of the really wise people I interview at the end of Self-Carefully. And on Saturday, December 7th, I will be reading from the book alongside Elsa DeRay in Baltimore, Maryland at Red Emma's Cafe, which is a very cool socialist bookstore and cafe. Elsa is also one of the women that I interview at the back of the book to talk about how self-care and social justice really fit together. I would love to see you there. So if you're around and again, you're listening to this before those dates have passed, I'd love to see you. And if I, you miss each other there, I just wish you a wonderful holiday season. Stay grounded, stay hydrated, stay connected to yourself and Let's just keep doing self-care way into the new year. Thanks and bye-bye. Enjoy this conversation. Hi, everyone. It's Gracie with Self-Care with Gracie. Welcome back to the podcast. We have an episode today about healing and feeling. We're here with Rachel Kaplan of the podcast, The Healing Feeling Shit Show. So welcome, Rachel. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to have you here. I, I love your podcast. I, uh, as we'll get into in this conversation, I love any connection between mind-body. Mm. So talking about emotional blockages and physical blockages is just right up the alley of an Ayurvedic nerd as well as a self-care person. So I want to start Yay. by reading your bio. And it's um, Rachel Kaplan has been relentlessly studying healing since her life was devastated by the traumatic suicide of her first love at age 14 years old. 
This lifelong pursuit led her on an international mission to study the methodologies of the world, focusing on spiritual practices of Eastern religions and the cutting edge Western psychological approaches. She's a longtime yoga practitioner and teacher, meditation practitioner, as well as a bold seasoned psychotherapist. After 25 years of studying these technologies and successfully working with clients and students, Rachel simplified the single most important and necessary tenet of deep core psychological healing as the emotional equivalent to potty training. Love that. Rachel created a new podcast, The Healing Feeling Shit Show, launched in February 6, 2019. So you're coming up on a year pretty soon. Mm-hmm. Um, to potty train grown ups through the foundational and educational first season so they can achieve emotional resilience, the new happy. Rachel also has a thriving psychotherapy practice in the San Francisco Bay Area. I'd like to start and hear more about you and your life story. You shared really openly in your bio, and um, but I'd like to hear more about just what, what self-care has meant for you along the way and what places have you struggled with self-care in your life and what have you had to learn about self-care along the way? Um, yeah, awesome question. Well, as I ex- ex- explained, and as you just noted, um, you know, I was as a child basically suddenly forced to look at um, things well beyond my readiness. And um, so by age, I'd say 15 or 16 um, was the first time I got into a uh, beneficial therapeutic practice where I was the client. Um, and was really desperately seeking relief. And so I think in the beginning, and and when I looked at your questions and thought about self-care, um, you know, it's really layered and nuanced for me because on one hand, I think what really heals core wounds when we have trauma or um, whether it's big T, like the kind of thing that happened to me or just relational low grade misses with early childhood or just being a person. I mean, like no one survives here without pretty intense pain and hurts. Um, I think what actually heals those deep core wounds is learning to care for the wound did part or learning to care for the pain. And, um, and that care is kind of the missing piece of that. It's actually learning to be warm and attuned and supportive toward those hard experiences. So on one hand, I feel like self-care is like as deep as it gets, um, as far as healing goes. Um, and, but more casually and more commonly, I think about it as learning how to take care of my unique and quirky, uh, vessel, like my, my body, my nervous system, my eating, sleeping needs. Um, and that's been, uh, an awesome journey. I feel like one that's changed with me as I've gone and grown. Um, and yeah, I could say a lot about that as far as challenges go. Um, I feel like learning how to be, um, kind to how sensitive I am has been a journey. Um, and also learning how to be comfortable with how energetic I am. (laughs) It's like a funny contrast because I'm both a, a sensitive and empathic person. So often feeling, um, what's not being said in social dynamics, um, able to connect to other people's emotions beyond what I've 
originally knew I was doing. So it took a lot of learning of how to how to stay in my own body and my own field. Um, but then also, I feel like I'm really direct and subtle like a bag of bricks, I like to say. And so learning how to wield my own energy more skillfully to not blast other people out. And that's just been a journey too. So, I mean, in some way, I think, you know, it's such a great topic because I feel like learning how to be ourselves well is really what life and adulthood is about. And so, yeah, I'll stop there. You touch on two really important parts of self-care, which are one like care. And I, I so appreciate you talking about just caring for the wounds because I think there's a lot of us out there that feel like, oh, one, we should not have wounds. Like things shouldn't right. affect us. And then if we do have a wound, our job is to heal it as quickly as possible so it goes right. away. And I, I don't know how to make some of those core wounds go away for myself. And so I, I love how you said it's just learning how to like be warm and care for those places that are just hurt because that's what it right. is to be human. Exactly. Yeah. And what's tricky is that a lot of people approach that healing, um, and, you know, everything Everything in the self-care world could be approached with the premise of trying to fix ourselves, like feeling broken and like we need to fix ourselves. And like what you said, trying to get it to go away as quickly as possible is another form of exploitation that we're all doing to ourselves instead of just being like, oh, buddy, you're hurting. Like, what do you need? And like when I think when I when my clients when myself, when we grok that 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 is, it's not just like squeezing an emotion out, you know, and I can get more into that when we get to the shit show. It's not just about like achieving success with emotional potty training, the way we try to achieve success with everything, but actually being soft, like the whole thing changes. Well, and, and I want to hear more about that, of like, how have you taken your own understanding of self-care and use it to help others? So can you talk more about like the moments that you were like, yeah, I, I want to do this for other people as well as for myself? Yeah. Um, and also I was aware I jumped in, you were maybe going to say the second, some, a second thing, but, um, we can always come back or whatever. But, um, yeah. So, I mean, that was, that happened pretty young because I started studying healing by 15, I'd say by 16 with real focus. And I almost majored in, in, uh, psychology as an undergrad, but my school was really, not suited for clinical work. It was much more research focused. So I studied Eastern religions and was over in Asia for a year studying their methodologies. I mean, I really knew very early on that my work, as I, as I started healing and I thought I was much further along than I was, of course, (laughs) Um, like when I left as a 20 year old to go to Asia, I think my friends all thought I was going to get enlightened and not come back myself included. I was so deluded. It's so great to be so humble now um, and be like, what? Um, but anyway, um, I still, even very early on, uh, as I started healing, knew that that was going to be my work, that there's just a, a way that someone who hasn't learned and, and been forced to learn, I think, to sit with their uh, pain and gotten comfortable with it is not going to be able to do that with and for someone else. And um, what's tricky is I think the therapist job is a fantastic career. And so a lot of people do it with fabulous intentions. But, um, you know, I think that the depth of our ability to really be useful really depends on how how deeply we've taken our own healing work and just not everybody needs to take it as deeply. 
Um, so from a very young age, I've been orienting toward helping others. Like the first time I got trained as yoga teacher, which was when I was 22, um, I came right home and made an eight week course for survivors of sexual assault using yoga. I kind of like always just dove in slightly above my pay grade. Um, and yeah, I became a psychotherapist. I started the training and when I was 24, I started seeing clients at 26. So I'm coming up on 14 years um, this spring. And as far as the podcast goes, that was interesting. I mean, the, the deepest, um, healing work and most successful healing work I did on myself, um, was actually not at all with a psychotherapist. It was with someone who, um, he calls himself a traditional song healer. He's more of people's concept about shaman would kind of light up what he does, but like a very earth connected person who's living primitively and um, initiated into a native lineage of healers, very powerful healer. Anyway, um, I did work with him for about four years and he was for sure the deepest influence on my understanding of what heals because I did the deepest healing work with him. And um, at some point he said to me during our work that the, the depth of healing that I was receiving was really a debt and that the only way to pay back that debt was to really claim my life and to share it, to move it forward. And sometime actually, um, interestingly, the, the work I did with this healer coincided with my marriage, which I ended up needing, choosing and needing to leave. Um, and that was almost three years ago. And, um, which is really a profound success. And actually it felt like the healing of the karma of the dead boyfriend in lots of crazy ways and synchronistic ways. I ended up without any effort leaving on the 22 year anniversary of the dead boyfriend's death and then found my dream apartment and was going to move into it on a Monday. That's where I'm sitting right now. And it was really rainy. So the movers chose to push it back a day and ended up moving out of my marital home on the dead boyfriend's birthday. So it was really this crazy kind of full circle. And in the three years since then, there was just a point where I finally recognized how well I was, like how balanced I felt and how much self-love I cultivated. And just knowing how hard that was for me and how rare I think that depth of healing is, I just was like, I should make a podcast. And podcast was completely kind of random. It was just a, a, a vehicle. In some way, the first season of the podcast is more of a transformational course, and I'm actually leading it as such currently and in the process of trying to get a book deal for it. So it's arbitrary that it's a podcast. It's awesome because it's free and it's available for people. And I'm now getting messages from people all over the world, really, that this is transforming their lives, which is amazing. Um, but it was really just from witnessing and experiencing uh, who I was. And I think it was this is the podcast and this this wider offering um, that's coming currently for me is really my way of paying it forward. I love that. Well, it, it brings me to the second part of what I was going to say before, Great. which is really about the self, <laughs> you know, uh -huh. and, and I, I think a lot of us kind of feel like we should already have a fully formed concept of self. And, and what I hear a lot of and when you share your story and how that story helped you to help others is like you gave yourself a lot of space to figure out who the self was and you're still figuring that out just like we all are. Yeah. And so yeah. to take the time with ourselves and to appreciate the nuance of like, oh, I'm a highly sensitive being and I'm, you know, full of energy to share with other people at the same time. That's a lot. That's a lot to like yeah. give ourselves. But like, like, as you said, just like such an immense act of self-love at the same time to like really be ourselves and make decisions and integrity with ourselves. 
Right. Yeah. And to keep listening as we change <laughs> and keep learning how to next level the self-care and be the self, you know, it's, I feel like it, you know, it's easy to get stuck and, and think that, oh, this is me. But if you're still alive, you're still changing. So. I know, I know. And there's still a part of me that wants to just figure it out. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> well, I think that that's useful. It's like, what, what is, what does that mean for now? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, what is, being you or me look like right now or feel like right now. And, and I think that actually has a lot to do with what I'm teaching is I feel like once we learn to feel our feelings, you know, that they become these compasses and these, these navigational tools of what really suits us and fits us and works for us. And they tell us how our life is going. And the, the tricky thing, um, is that, you know, most of us were taught not to have feelings, not to have hard feelings, like you said, not to have wounds, um, not to talk about them, you know, and that looks differently for people who are gendered differently and depending on your family of origin. But most of us, you know, we're not cultured in that way or educated in that way. And then currently our economy is actually funded by us believing that instead of having hard feelings, we can just buy things or eat things or watch things. And so, you know, it's working against the grain to become really good at having our feelings. And so I think that's why I I chose the title. And I know one of your questions is this, but like, you know, I mean, there's two things. One is that, you know, relating emotions to pooping, uh, how we relate to our poops is the single best way I've helped. I've found to help people understand how to relate to their feelings. But I think like choosing a metaphor that we, you know, emotional potty training that babies and infants learn, um, you know, toddlers, let's say, but, um, it kind of brings the humility of, we don't know how to do this. And, um, it's a playful way to be like, yeah, we need to, you know, kind of learn to put on our emotional big boy, big girl pants, um, and learn how to take care of ourselves. So why, why is feeling our feelings so important for personal well-being? Yeah, that is a great question. Um, well, what I would say, I mean, it kind of goes back to early life and you have a, a young one, right? How old's your child? He's just a little over two years. Yeah. So you are going to be right on the front lines of this. Um, oh yeah. No, we're we're we, reading the books. We're getting ready. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. The kids right now are so lucky to come in at this point. But um, yeah, I mean, basically it comes down to, uh, you know, our emotions are so it's important to feel our feelings as far as well-being because it's part of our it's part of our human vehicle it's part of our vessel it's like just like this our bodies have all of these systems um to maintain homeostasis most of which we don't have to supervise the emotional system is also a way that is you know uh, evolutionarily beneficial um you know that that does things like save our lives when we're in danger you know the classic example that people use is running away from the predator animal so you know the the ways that uh emotions impact our physical system. So the cascading of hormones that enable you to run to safety. Um, so, so we're just naturally, uh, biologically wired to feel, and the feelings are really a physical experience. I call them, um, clusters of sensations run rolling in squads. It's like, it's like, you, you know, anger feels like heat or maybe tension in the forearms or, 
you know, heat rising to the face or whatever it is. It's like, it's a physical thing. Like when you're heartbroken, you literally have pain in your chest. So those, the, the emotions are just happening. The reason why it's important to feel them as far as well being is that usually what happens is when we're little babies and we are so vulnerable and so demanding and relentlessly, you know, needy basically, um, you know, it becomes easier for caregivers to take care of us if we are more regulated. And that makes sense. And, and there's no shame to any parent who has felt frustrated when they can't get their child to stop crying or to go to sleep. Um, they are doing absolutely the best they can. But depending on what that parent learned about emotions and how regulated that parent is, there are incredibly both subtle and grotesque messages that get sent to little children and and then middle-sized children and teenagers and adults we all get these messages that we need to be a certain way to keep our you know to be loved and when you're a tiny infant totally dependent on caregivers proximity and care to survive we are biologically wired to do whatever we need to do to try to keep the love and the closeness and so if a child is subtly wired that when they you know, when they cry a lot, the parent gets dysregulated or becomes distant or tells them not to cry, you know, or as they get older, if the messages are more around gender or strength or being weak or, you know, um, not crying over spilled milk, whatever the messages are, we are so, you know, desperate to feel love that we will do whatever we can to uh, partition ourselves or those parts of ourselves off. And so what you have is you have these parts that end up getting pushed down. I call it in the emotional basement. That's obviously a metaphor, but um, kind of contained and people start setting up a false self, um, you know, where they're trying to be who their parents originally accept and then eventually peers and, you know, partners and coworkers. And so when that's happening, you do not have access. You're, you're literally disconnected from all of the information, the vital information that your emotions are giving you. And probably the more sensitive emotions, the more, because people don't generally hide the parts of them that are really widely accepted. So people end up trying to fit the mold or fit the norm uh, or please others versus pleasing themselves. And then if you picture you know, what happens to parts, to living things that get locked away and ostracized or put in a basement closet, you know, they get gnarly, they rot. It's like even a plant can't survive in a dark, suppressed place, um, let alone a little vulnerable human part. And so we end up feeling like we're imposters. We end up feeling like if people knew us well enough, they would see that we're not lovable, that we're really weak and lame or, um, you know, too much or not enough, whatever the particular conditioning is. And so in order to heal, in order to feel like I am lovable, or I know who I am, or I know how to take care of myself and make a life and build a life that actually works for my quirky, weird ass self, you need to have a relationship with those parts in the basement. And it's about looking at what have you concealed or shut away to try to get acceptance and pulling them out and really making repair with them because they've been, they've been suffering at first, you know, those parts were suffering kind of more passively through the, whatever acceptance or rejection from the parents, but eventually it's 100% us rejecting those parts of ourselves. And so learning how do we become um, consistent and trustworthy caregivers, and here's where the care part comes in, to those wounded parts that are sure they're unlovable or too much or not enough, learning how to how to um, feed them well, how to 
connect with people who actually feel safe to those parts is part of what actually brings us into a state where we feel like we're a whole person, like we're actually lovable and it changes everything. And that is like the crux of the healing work. And um, what happens, one last thing I'll say, I know I've been talking literally forever, not literally, metaphorically forever. Um, but the last thing I'll say is that once we create a relationship with these parts, the real bulk of the work, and that this is the other part of the shit show, is how do you help these parts flush out the backlog of pain? Because, you know, the, these parts are, are full of pain, of rejection, of judgment, of fear, insecurity, shame, really shame, sense of not belonging. And, you know, the only way to help them heal is to help them let go of what they've been carrying. And there's all kinds of challenges to that. And there's all kinds of skills to learn of how to do that well. And then as that happens, then they kind of, they get lighter and they start to merge into us. They don't feel like separate parts, but we just kind of feel like whole people with certain sensitivities or vulnerabilities. Thank you for sharing all that. It's so clear and <laughs> wonderful and helpful. <laughs> And simple and like hard to practice at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting because it's been so much of my own process over these past few years of just like, oh, shoot, I got to get into the basement. Those feelings Uh have been shut away for a long time. I got to feel those. And as I felt them, you know, a lot of things changed in my life. I met my now life partner and had a child. But it's really interesting to be doing that kind of um, resuscitation work with those parts Uh and then also be parenting a young child at the same time. Because I, I, I feel the instinct to be like, no, 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 don't cry. <laughs> don't, don't trigger totally. me. Don't trigger my stuff. And uh, I'm so grateful for all of the great parent teachers out there to be like, nope, that stuff is really healthy. Let them have their tantrums. Thank them for it. Right. But it's, I feel the resistance within myself of still. Course. And it's, it's just, it's very humbling, actually, to, to be doing both yeah. ends of those at once. Yeah, well, I mean, for sure. And, you know, I'm not a parent and I respect that work. I think it's definitely the hardest job, period. Um, And of course you have the resistance. I mean, of course it's easier to care for a being who is regulated. And um, what I think the amazing gift is when you're a parent and for my clients who are is there's really a model or a template that I think is hard to understand otherwise of what unconditional care looks like. It's like even if you feel frustrated with your kid or – become impatient, there's a way that you can probably access what loving um, a dysregulated experience looks like through him, through loving him. And if you can apply that toward your own parts, if you can actually let that be the model for you, um, it can be profoundly useful as a way to, you know, include your little parts. And also like when you're cuddling with your little boy, it's like, how can you bring in your little girl to the equation and let her be nourished and kind of, you know, just you're already parenting. So you just add your own parts, you know, and I know that's easier said than done, of course. Yeah, but it is. I I feel all of that. It is really, there's a sweetness to it and it is really healing for me to to be parenting. And that's what all the kids out there know is your parents are healing themselves alongside you, ideally. Right. Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah. And if they're not, then that's going to be a lot more wounding for the kid. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like a lot of my parent friends have been talking lately being like, well, we'll just, you know, save up money for their parent, for their therapy fund, which is a joke. Totally. <laughs> but that idea. Yeah. But that, like... you know, the truth is, is I think, I think that that's just a human experience. I, I mean, I do think it could change profoundly as a culture once we start learning how to allow this part of our humanity and how to support it. Um, I think kids will have less wounding as they grow up, but I, I just think wounding is part of what happens here. You know, I honestly, and, and especially if you look at the the state of our 
society and how disconnected we are in certain ways to things that demand balance. It's like, there's no, it's not like the richest people in the world are necessarily the most emotionally balanced people. And, you know, there's just a way that you can get away with so much in our culture without having to have well-being that, you know, most people are (laughs) even, and then they're suffering inside. But so I think it's a, I think any parent who's raising a child, it's like, all you can do is your best. And, you know, there's a therapeutic concept of good enough mother. It's like, that's great. Like (laughs) be the good enough mother and, you know, your child will have their own human journey. So I I remember when I first started um, leading courses around self-care and I was thinking more about physical self-care because that was what was profound for me at that time in my life. And my clients started to have a lot of emotional responses to practicing physical self-care and it started to make some connections like, oh, we are reparenting ourselves in a lot of ways and we are starting to change our self-care habits. And we talked a lot about our emotions. And I remember one time one person posted on the forum, it's still like my favorite question I think anyone's asked. She's like, everyone keeps talking about feeling my feelings. She's like, how do I do that? Uh-huh. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and it was a brave question and it's an awesome question. So I, I, I'd love to hear you address that question. Like, are there, Absolutely. what tools and techniques do you recommend for people who like want to feel their feelings, but just don't really know how to do it? Well, first of all, that is absolutely 100% what the season one of the shit show is about. You know, I, I basically give you, you know, it starts with what we just went over of like, how do we get so wounded? And then it goes into how do you actually feel your feelings? And then there's all kinds of, there's four specific episodes designed around um, the four emotions of anger, sadness, fear and shame that will bring you into the nuances of that emotion and give you all kinds of ideas of how to move that emotion through the body. Um, and, and then we look at like, what do you do with your life once you're having your feelings and you realize maybe you hate your job or your wife or something, you know? So anyway, so that is all there. It's available. It's free. It's healing, feeling shit show. The eyes and asterisk. Now that being said, um, to give some, so episode five is like where we get into the nitty gritty of how do you do it? And, you know, there, there are steps and, you know, the first one is about getting, making time. Um, I mean, there's a way that there's like the deeper dive into the emotions of how are you going to connect with an emotion that you've had buried that requires different um, parameters and setup than just like once you're a little more connected to your body um, and have more awareness of things where it's not like necessarily a separate event, but you're just having your feelings as you go through your day. Um, if someone is shut down enough where they're not in their body and they're not aware of sensations of the body, then they're probably not going to be having either of those experiences. So, you know, the goal long term, I would say, with feeling your feelings is that you're um, aware, meaning your consciousness, your um, your sense of what you're attending to or your what you're tracking is is able to be in your body. And so when you have have like maybe a pit, a drop in your belly because you're nervous or someone you have butterflies for comes in the room or when um, something happens at work and you suddenly start having an accelerated heart rate and you're feeling nervous, that you're tracking it, that you're able to feel your feelings that when you get a disappointing email from a partner or whatever it is that you that you are able to notice that you're having a physiological response to something. Um, So that's kind of the end goal is like, it's something that happens continuously. Now, when people are trying to do um, this deeper healing around emotions, it's kind of like, you know, if you wanted a six pack, you'd go to the gym, you'd set aside time. If you want to unwind a tight back, you might need to do yoga or stretch. And so 
you know, it's this, it's a similar thing where you find a time where you can, I'd say put in maybe at least 20 to 45 minutes, um, try to get some more quiet, um, turn your phone off, try to, you know, set aside distractions. And then when you're sitting there, you then use your breath, like, you know, just connecting to your breath at first, just how it is. And then you can practice slightly deeper breaths and you try to bring your focus, your awareness into your torso, I'd say is usually the best place with the general question of how am I feeling? Like, how am I doing? You know, and you start from a high level of like, Oh, I feel a little sped up or, Oh, I feel kind of down or sad, you know, and then a really good question to ask. Now here's where we go awry. This is where all of us try to get out of our feelings is we say, why, why am I feeling down? And what I can say to all your listeners is why is useless? Like when you need to know why you will, like a why, a content or an explanation, if there is one and it's important, it will come up. But all of the digging that we do for why is usually just a, a do, an effort to manage and to come out of discomfort. So the better question is how? So how do I know I'm down? Where do I feel down or heavy or sad in my body? And you really try to notice, is there a cluster or a, a denseness anywhere where sensations, you know, are kind of thicker, let's say. And then I would say if you can place a hand there, if you have a pillow nearby or a stuffed animal to, to hold something to that part of you, it's usually going to be your chest or your belly, sometimes your throat, sometimes your back. And you just try to breathe. And the basic move is that you give yourself permission. You're like, of course, like I'm allowed to be sad or okay, I'm sad. Like you, it's okay. You can be sad, Rachel or you know, and you just try to open up or turn toward the actual sensation that comes up. And then your mind's going to butt in again. It's going to be like, but what if so-and-so knew that you're feeling this way? And you just gently come back. You know, you just try to kind of say to those thoughts and those interruptions, um, you know, I'll be with you shortly and just keep giving yourself permission. And when you can really dive in to that connection to the, to the sensations, what will usually happen is that they will intensify. Um, and you'll feel an upwelling of emotion, maybe, you know, um, one of the tips I can give is that if this is all hard to do, or if you are so hard on yourself, so critical of yourself that you can't imagine giving permission to yourself to feel something, it's actually useful to think of it as a separate part, like a younger part or, you could even use if you're a parent or you have a dog or someone you really love, you can imagine like, what? how would I respond if they were feeling this way? And that kind of um, personification can help us be, have more gentleness toward that part. But then eventually you have to realize that's you. And and so then the, the move is all about, I call it becoming, it's all about letting yourself drop into your pain. And hopefully at that point you'll have some flow. Maybe you'll cry. Um, for, for some feelings, it's not so much about releasing through tears. It might be more about shaking. It might be more about like having a tantrum. Maybe what you're allowing is you're, you're fucking pissed. I hope I can swear we already did because my, my show has a swear word, but it's this great. one's explicit. <laughs> so maybe it's about like you tune in and you feel all this heat and then you're like, you know, expressing the emotion you're allowing and becoming the rage by squeezing a pillow or screaming into a pillow. It's like, depending on what the feeling is, moving it and feeling it will be different. But, you know, you kind of go into that and that the height of 
the release is going to be you actually emoting. And then when it starts to slow down and people are very afraid that if they have their feelings, they'll get stuck in their feelings. Everyone rest assured. It's impossible. It's like, good luck. If you could cry for more than an hour and, and you're not, someone didn't just die or you're not in a breakup, like call me, I'll give you cookies, something. It's like, it's, it's actually a real muscle and a skill to be able to stay with emotions. So you won't get stuck forever. Um, so as it slows down and as the release trickles out, you're going to like, you know, kind of slowly come out of it. And then that's when you do something called what I call reality testing, where you slowly return to the part of you that is more resource, that's more, you know, adult like that, that can do things like say to yourself now is it true like maybe what that part was grieving that you're you know crying is no one loves you and because it's actually you want to drop into the feeling and let the feeling be there you're actually when you're trying to feel it you're going to be like no oh, it loves me because for that part that's true you know you really let that part have a pity party that nobody loves it right and then when you come out of it and you're returning to your the part of you you want operating for the rest of your day that's when you can be like, now, is it true that nobody loves me? You know, and um, and you can say, well, maybe, you know, I know these three people love me or do things that reestablish you in uh, reality uh, and where you're going to be able to, you know, not be in a pit of despair for the rest of the day. And I, I do suggest not making any big decisions um, or life changes when you're in, or even really communications. This is a personal job, just like pooping is a personal situation. It's like, we never look at any one poop and think that's the poop for the rest of my life. Or like all my poops will be like this. Or this is what it means about me that I had this poop. It's like that poop. So you're dropping into that feeling. You're trying to move and have that feeling and you come out of it and, you know, go about your day until you have another big feeling. That's awesome. Um, before we end here, I, I do want to talk more about pooping. Okay, please. <laughs> when I when I saw your podcast name and heard your podcast where you share actual like people share stories of their pooping experiences, I was like, this is so Ayurvedic because in Ayurveda, yeah. it's like such a huge connection between your mind and your body and your emotions. And when we get really out of balance, especially like in our nervous system, like what can get affected is our pooping a lot of times, right. constipation. And when we get really like out of balance and like our anger and stuff and get diarrhea. So like it all comes out in the poop. So I, right. I just have to like hear any other connections as we sure. close here between pooping and feeling this like emotional release that you're describing here. Right. Well, the reason why I, I'm calling it this is that when we get the urge to poop, you know, so think about your last one. When you had this, the sensation, when it, when your body told you you were ready for a poop, were you like, Oh man, I have that feeling and maybe I should go eat or 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 take something or or check on my stats. Maybe maybe I should go check on my likes on Facebook to get rid of this feeling or maybe if I buy a new sweater I won't have this feeling. Do you do any of that when you get that poop feeling? Nope, nope. <laughs> what do you do? Day, I go poop. Exactly. And so that's ideally what we would the how we would learn to relate to our emotions is that when we get this uh, the awareness of those clusters of sensations rolling in the body um that we we basically are like oh I need to move this I need to go find the best possible place and you don't always do it right then and there in fact you know one thing that should be stated explicitly is I'm not in favor of pooping on people this is not about you know you're just trying to get your feelings out wherever you are. This is really the same way you go, you hopefully, I mean, that's what the poop stories are about is you can't always get to the appropriate place to poop, you know? So that's what makes it fun. 
Um, but you know, you, you find an appropriate place to go and move that feeling. Um, and you do it as quickly as you can, but you know, it's, it's basically creating the alternative, um, to medicating and trying to distract ourselves out of our emotions. And then also there's a lot of parallel around what I was just saying that you, you don't identify with the poop. You don't think that the poop is true or not true. It's not permanent. It's, you know, it's not a big deal. It's nothing to feel ashamed about. It's like, we all have we all have to poop, as we learned it from that great kid's book. Every single person you meet, if they're eating and they're alive, they need to poop or else they're going to be very sick. And similarly, if someone is alive and in the world, they're having emotions. It's just like our bodies. It's like where uh, sensation or stimulation, sense stores and our internal reality you know, there's this like place where they meet and it's, it's in the body, it's sensations and, um, everyone has emotions. And so there's, and, and a lot of our emotions that I think also almost everybody has are, are hard. They're uncomfortable. They're people have, people feel like shit, you know, emotionally, or at least have moments of that. And it's similarly nothing to be ashamed of. So the real crux of my, um, fascination with, you know, poop and emotions is just that like, it really, you know, if you're getting this far in life, you're, you're grown up and you're, you're mostly healthy. You've learned how to relate to your digestive system. Um, I actually interviewed this week. I interviewed the woman who, um, wrote the book come as you are, and she has a new book. Actually, I was, um, it's interesting. It's very much on this exactly. And what's cool is she's a scientist. So hashtag science, but she, you know, she talks a, a lot about the cycle of stress, how, you know, that there's, um, for our body to return to homeostasis, how there's an ending and, and a lot of how wounding happens and how we carry, um, stuck emotions and therefore illness in the body is because our bodies have not moved or completed the cycle of stress, um, which would be the releasing part. And so she talks about, she likes to think of the cycle of digestion that you need to complete your digestion or else you're in trouble. Um, but I've also studied Ayurveda and I have long, like long-term roots in, um, yoga. And so, yes, I, I think that, and, and last week's episode was actually an interview with, um, the author of the second brain and there's all kinds of science that show how, you know, the, um, the guts have so much to do with our mood. I mean, I think the parallels are, you know, people talk about your gut feeling there's, you know, which I tried to get him to weigh in on and he didn't want to, <laughs> but, uh, hashtag science. But anyway, um, I think the parallels in the ways that our emotions and the cascading sensations that correspond with um, hormones and, you know, physical components, they're, they're completely intertwined. Um, but I, I use it more as a, a metaphor, as a model of understanding. That's Although nice. we have had, I did have an Ayurvedic practitioner on and, um, you know, I think that's part of what season two has been about is learning other ways to supplement healing and other, um, you know, context to understand ourselves. So bringing in other kinds of experts that aren't as focused on just emotions. Mm, awesome. Well, how do you see your work helping shift the bigger social societal cultural paradigm of the moment? Yeah, it's so intense. You know, there's a way that like it's taken me nearly 40 years to be strong enough to be the wild, quirky, undulating, loud, rainbow obsessed, poop talking, you know, badass that I am. And I really feel like I am a stand and completely here to be used as a um, as like a, you know, a vehicle of spreading this uh, shame reducing mission. I call it the feelings movement. And, um, you know, I think that all of my gifts and quirks kind of line up well, as far as being verbal and being articulate. And, um, 
having studied this so long and, and being deeply connected to the core pain and really able to go into the dark side, but also able to really make light of it. And for me personally, I feel like what is the point of healing if we don't have fun? And so the fact that I'm dressing it with so much humor and poop stories and, you know, I've made my professional logo, me and literally a pile of, of shit that has a kissing face on it. You know, it's like, I just kind of feel profoundly willing and excited about being used for the cause. And, um, and it's been just so fun to, you know, expand my workout. I've had a, you know, personal practice for well over a decade, um, the private practice for 12 years. Um, and so I've been, you know, really in the work of helping people, but to make it more widely available and, um, you know, I just feel kind of like up for it. I feel really grateful to have finally cultivated the kind of self-worth that where I know that no amount of success or lack of success for the podcast, no amount of downloads, no amount of likes or not likes or reviews is going to make me feel worthy. It's like only really how much I feel worthy will make me feel worthy. So I feel like really well suited at this point to just have this um, message go further and wider. And I'm hoping that, you know, in the next six months I can get a book deal, um, for the streamlined content and just see how far I can take it and, um, continue having fun with people and helping shift the culture into an understanding where, yeah, let's move our feelings to our bodies. Like we poop. Let's, let's shit that out. <laughs> awesome. Um, Rachel, thanks so much for sharing everything. It's, it's so valuable to hear your experiences and the way you've put them all together. And um, I, I think a lot of listeners are going to hear a lot of things they need to hear in here. I always like to close with the question of what does self-care mean to you? And we've touched on it in so many different ways, but I'd love to just hear your last definition as we say goodbye here. I'd say most succinctly, it's knowing who and how we are and how to keep ourselves in, you know, an optimal state of balance and presence so we can be who we are well. <laughs> awesome. Yes. Yes. The, the self, <laughs> the quirky self. I love, I'm going to really take that with me from this. We need to give it space. Yeah. Everybody's weird. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, how can listeners stay in touch with your work? Um, thanks for asking. So there's there's two ways to do it. One is um, if you go to yourcorewound.com, and that's Y-O-U-R-C-O-R-E wound.com, um, there is a quick like four to five minute quiz that you can take that will tell you and me. I literally look at every single person's quiz. Um, and then I will send you a free module that will say, okay, you, your core wound is fear, your core wound is shame, or your core wound is anger. It's a little bit misleading in the sense of um, everyone's core wound of are they enough and are they, you know, shame is always going to be deeper than anger or sadness. But if you are really, you know, blazing, raging through your life and you score really high on anger, then that's a good place to start because it, it's like an onion and you want to take it layer by layer. So that will put you into my world. It will get you something for free and it will also give me your email so I can let you know when I do offer things. Um, the Shit Show, which I highly recommend starting in the first season, um, start at the beginning, episode one. Um, that is, you know, literally a free transformational step-by-step -step guide to everything I've talked about. Um, and I just closed up and I'm now running the first guided group journey through the shit show, but I will probably twice a year, 
um, be running a group guided journey. So if you're, you know, if you're interested in that, you can definitely let me know and I will let you let you know when I do it again. And also I have just created, um, I call them digestive aids where they are worksheets that um, ask a bunch of questions uh, that will help you digest the material. So you can find all of this through healingfeelingshitshow.com. Um, but the quickest way to just get in my world is yourcorewound.com. Wonderful. Yes, all of that. Thank you so much, Rachel. I, I, I've learned a lot from our conversation and it's just reinforced how important it is to just let those feelings come and then let them go yep. at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> let the poop yeah, come and let it go. Exactly. Yeah. Flush it out. Um, well, thanks so much for having me. I know it's a really big deal. Um, and I'm excited to be exposed to your audience and to have your beautiful book. And when I make some time, for self-care, I'm going to read it. <laughs> awesome. Yes. Yeah. And it's there. It's out. You can kind of, we say it's sort of like tarot card style. You can just open it up to any section. It's actually a great um, a length to read while you're taking a poop. Just like, oh, that's pages. awesome. So just keep it on your toilet. Okay. Done. <laughs> you had me at toilet. <laughs> awesome. And for all the listeners out there, you know, take a moment to reflect after you've listened to this episode and think about for yourself, like how, how do feelings go for you? When feelings come up, do you feel like it's something you have to like get rid of as soon as you possibly can? Can you give yourself the space to have the emotional release? Can you think of it a little bit more like pooping? And if, if all of it's hard, like maybe going back to a potty training mindset is, is a powerful way as Rachel has suggested here. So thanks, everybody. Keep taking care of yourself, and I will talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Hi, this is Gracie with Beautiful Life Self-Care. Thanks so much for listening to the show. I hope you learned something new. If you want to connect more, then visit me at selfcarewithgracie.com. There you can sign up for my weekly newsletter, where on Wednesday afternoons, I'll send you more self-care practices more inspiration and more opportunity to connect to a community of people who really care about really good self-care. Also write me if you have any other questions or if you have ideas for future shows. My email address is selfcarewithgracie at gmail.com. Thanks a lot and remember keep putting yourself first and everything else will fall into place.